Jonah part two. Tonight we will continue a study of the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, so I would encourage you to, to turn to that minor prophet, that fifth book of the minor prophets that in fact calls upon us to consider a remarkable record from days gone by. An inspired record though, a record that in fact will be very challenging to us tonight as it was even as we began that series last Lord's Day evening. As you're turning to that book of Jonah, let me say by way of a brief announcement at least, that of course there's a number of gospel meetings taking place this week, one of which is at the McCoinsville Church of Christ over in Jackson County. Uh, that meeting lasts from today all the way through Thursday evening, I believe it is, with uh, Brant Stubblefield from Oklahoma doing the preaching. Uh, Denise and I are going to attempt to, to move that way or go the, tonight. The services begin at 7, so we may not be a, won't be able to, to be here quite as long as usual after the services tonight. I just wanted to let you know where we'd be going, and certainly if you can, I'm sure any of the gospel meetings in the area would be delighted to have you join them, encourage them, support them, and hear the word of the Lord preached on those occasions. The book of Jonah, as we began that series last Sunday evening, these introductory thoughts I hope will uh, very quickly recall to your mind some of what we saw then. God came to Jonah very clearly and gave him a very directed message. Go to Nineveh and cry against it. And here it was immediately that Jonah found himself in position. The word of the Lord was very plain and the word of the Lord was very clear. And yet, as you and I use that immediately to learn that our God in heaven was very mindful of even those that would be recognized as non-Jews especially. They were Gentile people, and yet God was sending a prophet to them, a prophet to warn them to repent, a prophet to warn them about the, the coming overthrow if they did not change. We then proceeded quickly to notice that Jonah did something very different than what God said. This map, I'll quickly go ahead and put that up as I'm sure it looks a bit familiar. Jonah went to Joppa and proceeded to pay the fare and boarded a ship headed for Tarshish. And here he was going almost completely the opposite direction as the God of heaven commanded him. And so as Jonah went, that takes us back to notice yet another lesson that we rather readily saw. Returning to that previous slide, that disobedience on the part of Jonah brought us to appreciate that Jonah found himself in a very dire set of circumstances. Even he suggested he was to be thrown overboard and ultimately the mariners agreed with him. And so it was that that closed really our lesson on that occasion and brings us to where we'll pick up the saga as we end chapter 1 and start chapter 2 tonight. The title of this next slide I hope will be a very familiar one in many ways prophet overboard here was again a prophet of God he had been given a very particular message to take to Nineveh and yet he himself had made suggestion that I was to be thrown overboard he'd say because it's for my disobedience this has come on you as he spoke to the mariners and yet as we start that slide we notice they in fact did throw Jonah overboard and isn't it fantastic to appreciate the very powerful message of Jonah 1, verse number 15 and 16? It says, So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. This sea that for some amount of time had been so raging and so severe and so boisterous, when they threw Jonah overboard, it became calm. 
that surely made reiteration in their hearts about the correctness of the one whom they had thought was guilty. This sea that was so very difficult now became so very calm to them. And you'll notice that immediately brings us to the closing verse of chapter 1. It says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Over the centuries, there have been many who at this point have begun to make great wonderment about the book of Jonah. Here it says that Jonah himself was swallowed up by a great fish. And for some three days and three nights, he in fact survived in that environment. Many have wondered, among other things, almost with an element of great suspicion, an element in fact of wonderment, almost asserting that couldn't be. But you and I, as those that trust the Word of God, know very well that the same God that could part the Red Sea and the same God that could bring all things into creation in six days and the same God that brought forth Jesus from the grave, among so many other Bible miracles, is the same God that could have preserved Jonah, the same God that did preserve Jonah, and the same God that leads us to note maybe the next observation. What about this fish? Some have, in fact, even under admission of the matter, have questioned what kind of fish may this have been. You and I, in the wisdom of the moment, would never wish to go beyond what the Word of God would declare. The book of Jonah calls it a great fish. Jesus Himself, in Matthew 12, verse 40, said, But as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so there, at least, the King James translation uses the word whale. Although, perhaps in fairness, other translations use a different word than that. I thought it might be of benefit to each of us to at least notice the word whale is really not in the Matthew text or here in the Jonah one either. The word that's translated here just literally means a great fish. That word that's used by Jesus in Matthew 12, it means a huge fish. On other cases, it's used for a sea monster. Perhaps we might at least comment on this point. Whatever fish this was, it had a throat big enough to swallow a man whole. Most whales don't have a throat that big. In fact, to my knowledge, almost none of them have a throat that big. Rather, it constricts rather notably in a whale. Was this a kind of shark? Perhaps so. We, after all, do know this. There are almost no whales in the Mediterranean Sea but there are lots of sharks. Perhaps it was a shark. At the very least, we can say the God of heaven had prepared it. And as such, we appreciate exactly what was affirmed here is what took place. Jonah found himself in that rather remarkable environment of the insides of a great fish. As he did that, look at what else we might say. It almost certainly would have been thought that as soon as Jonah was thrown overboard, that would have meant his certain death. After all, it was in the midst of a very tremendous storm. Here he was, an individual in a very, very difficult, treacherous seas. And not only that, there were, of course, lots of sharks and other animals in the Mediterranean. Surely one would have thought maybe those mariners just assumed he would soon die. However, you and I have just read, he didn't. He was swallowed up of a great fish. At the bottom of that slide, you'll notice that this prophet named Jonah 
it says survive for a very specific amount of time, three days and three nights. At this point, perhaps you and I can begin to notice an immediate lesson. As you close that slide, Jonah prayed. I would like to ask you to notice as I read the prayer that Jonah prayed, beginning in the opening verse of chapter 2. It says, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, unto thy holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. That's verses 1 through 9 of Jonah chapter 2. At that point, as we come to the bottom observation, you'll notice that this gentleman, this prophet named Jonah, entered into a prayer, and likely upon reading it, that prayer is not what we initially would have anticipated. Let's have our opening lesson. The lesson that I've tried to entitle as follows. The approach that Jonah made to God. Isn't it fascinating to pause at least and appreciate the wording that Jonah used, the approach that he employed? And that almost immediately brings us back to notice in verse number 2 and 3. Jonah affirmed that God had heard him. Now that immediately leads us into a rather interesting study. Jonah had deliberately disobeyed God. He, at the point of beginning on that journey aboard that ship, he himself was in deliberate rebellion to the commandments of God. That makes this particular prayer and the fact that God heard it all the more impressive. For after all, you and I appreciate some of the following things. God doesn't promise in His Word. In fact, He asserts the opposite, that He will not turn an ear to those who are living in deliberate rebellious sin. He hasn't promised to hear their prayers. A few of those verses I've listed for your consideration. You might notice especially in John 9, 31. Well, on that occasion, wasn't it that remarkable blind man who the Lord restored his sight? And even he admitted with such an appreciated fact, he said, Now we know that God heareth not sinners. That very sentiment was echoed back in Jeremiah 11, verses 10 and 11. On that occasion in the ancient day, God very expressly through Jeremiah said, I'll not turn my ear to those who are living in evil. We could add to that consideration that rather famous text in Zechariah 7, 13. In all those instances, we find that our God makes a very deliberate choice that He will not turn His appreciated ear to those who are living in open defiance of His will. But oh, how remarkable it is to consider the blessing of those that are His faithful children. 
the fact that they have an avenue with God, that their prayer is not only heard by Him, but He has promised to turn the attention of His will toward it. Look at that famous text in 1 Peter 3.12. There in the New Testament, that famous presentation, that very memorable passage in which we read that the ears of the Lord are open unto the righteous. Isn't that fascinating? And yet here was a man, Jonah, who previously had been rebellious, but what apparently had the man done? And he even admitted it in light of his prayer, didn't he? We find a man who is repentant, a man who had made change. Did you notice in verse number 4? I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. Jonah recognized he wasn't killed immediately upon being thrown overboard. He was still alive, though it was in a very unfortunate place. And yet he had the fullest of assurances that by virtue of the blessing of God, he yet again would be able to look upon the beautiful temple of God. Jonah, you see, was one who had displayed a repentant heart. Maybe that was part of what led him to make the suggestion to those mariners, throw me overboard. His way of asserting a change of attitude, a change of consideration relative to the God of heaven's commandment. Did you notice he went on to say here in verse number 9 of Jonah chapter 2, I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Jonah, it seems, was overwhelmed with a sense whereby, given the opportunity to again to come to dry land, he would be more than excited to do that which the God of heaven had asked him to do and had commanded him to do. And we see in this, of course, the value and the necessity of repentance. Did Jesus say in Luke 13, 3, Nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Wasn't it Paul who, in the midst of that great sermon in Athens, in Acts 17, verses 30 and 31, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he would judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Jonah, here in that, even this book, highlights for us the need for repentance a heart of tender reception and response to that which God commands. You'll notice as we go further on that slide, the promises vouchsafed to you and me are so rich and sweet indeed. The blessing you and I have to approach God through Jesus Christ. He is our advocate with the Father, 1 John 2 verses 1 and 2 tells us. He is the very one who, of course, is such that we have these descriptions the blessing that's ours as Christians. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, Romans 8 verse 1. Thus, you and I have an avenue and our prayers are promised. In Revelation chapter 8 verses 4 and 5, they encircle and come up and surround the very throne of God. Here was a man praying from the belly of a great fish, and God heard his prayer. Are you and I such that we too have that confidence, that assurance that He's hearing our prayer. We need to live in such a way that, of course, our life is described as righteous for those are the ones whose prayers God has promised to hear. This approach to God as we close that slide leads us to notice about other lessons concerning this prayer. 
as I read it again a moment ago, you probably noticed again it wasn't like the kind of prayer we might have anticipated. Would it almost be assumed that it would be a prayer of deliverance? God, get me out of this belly if you would, please. But did you notice that was never stated by Jonah? Not one time in the entirety of the prayer did he pray for deliverance. In fact, his prayer was described in ways like I would ask you to notice here. A prayer that had a very different perception and a very different nature. First of all, could we notice in verse number 4, in this prayer, from the location where he was, and might we pause to comment in the imagination of your mind, consider what it must have been like for those three days and three nights. Complete darkness. He was in the belly of a great fish, no telling how deep in the ocean. I'm sure it smelled horribly bad as the stomach of this creature was consuming the various things it had eaten, but not Jonah. How awful it must have smelled. Jonah even commented weeds were wrapped around his head. He even spoke about corruption being that which surrounded him. He commented about the nature factually of what he was experiencing, but he didn't find the need to pray for deliverance. He praised God for His holiness. He praised God for His greatness. He attributed to God an incredible sense of acknowledgement as the God of heaven is able by His right to do whatever in response to human sin He wants. Jonah, it seems, readily admitted, I, by my actions, have led God's judgment to bring me here. He wasn't faulting God at all with this sentence of judgment. Consider with me about the middle of that slide. Isn't it true that our God, by being the infinite, almighty, awesome God that He is, it is His prerogative to deal with sin as He sees fit? Jonah understood that point well. He, in fact, had no difficulty in appreciating it at all. Isn't it also fascinating, nextly, the pathetic state or the very challenging state in which he found himself? Note again the language that he uses, please. Verse number 6, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. It would seem that Jonah had a sense of the depth in which he found himself. We don't know how deeply this creature may have gone. It would appear from the wording perhaps very, very deep into the oceans. As you and I comment, we know that the pressure then that would have been exerted on the outside of any particular object at that depth may have been extraordinary. However, you notice there was water both inside and outside the creature, so the creature was under no difficulty. But our God preserved Jonah. Isn't it also appreciated to notice, Jonah spoke about a particular way of appreciation in his heart. Verse number 8, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Jonah seemingly recognized he'd made a tremendous mistake. He had in fact done exactly what God did not allow him or the opposite what God commanded. Oh, what a severe matter of vanity such is. But they who do that are their own worst enemy. They, in fact, forsake the mercy available from God to them. Isn't it true that when you and I succumb to sin, we are our own worst enemy? 
we own by that choice separate ourselves from God. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. By our actions and by our volition, we choose to be separated from God. How horrible. It should be the greatest delight and love of our heart and life to be united with the God of heaven, to be in fellowship with Him, to understand what He has made available to us by virtue of the cross. As we come near the close of that slide, Jonah went ahead to mention he felt sure, perhaps God had informed him that he was going to survive this difficult three days and nights. He again stated, I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. Here was a man in the midst of the belly of a great fish speaking about thanksgiving. How thankful are you and I? Sometimes with all the material blessings and gifts that we have, not to mention the spiritual ones, are we as thankful as we could be, as we should be, as we ought to be? There was an occasion when, as you and I well recall, there were ten lepers that came to the Master, and the Lord healed them, but only one of them came back to say thanks. Found in Luke 17, verses 2 and following. Our Savior Himself asked the haunting question, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? The Lord was, of course, looking for the thankful and hearts full of gratitude of the other nine. May you and I always be quick to be those in that position, a heart ready to be thankful for all the gifts and the blessings that we enjoy. Closing that slide, you notice so often within the pages of the New Testament as prayers are described and as the attitude of them is highlighted, how often is it characterized with humility, with thankfulness, with an understanding of the greatness of the gifts that God, of course, presents. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. James chapter 1, verse 17. As we close that slide, Prophet Overboard has been the title so far of that particular slide. But we're ready to move to the close of chapter 2 and then on into chapter 3. The last verse of chapter 2 we haven't yet read. Let me do that with, of course, an idea of what's to follow. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. For three days and three nights, this Jonah had found himself in such dire position. And yet now, God spoke to the fish in a reminder, isn't it, that even the creatures upon this earth are beneath the forceful commandments of the God of heaven. Don't you think about it interestingly sometimes? The fish obeyed God completely. It vomited out Jonah exactly when the God of heaven said so, and yet the human family so many times chooses not to obey God nearly that fully and nearly that completely. Sometimes we need to have at least the attitude of response much more notably that even it was displayed by something like this great fish. You'll notice as we come to the next point, the saga, though, goes right on into chapter 3 without any hesitation. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. And immediately you and I notice the development that's made. 
God again comes to Jonah and shares with him by way of commandment the same message that had been shared back in chapter 1. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. You'll notice the same message was given to him again. Verse number 3 tells us, though, a very different reaction on Jonah's part. It says, So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Amazing what a little time spent in the belly of a great fish can do to one's attitude. Jonah first had so quickly been disobedient. In fact, with deliberation, headed to Joppa and paid fare to go to Tarshish. This time, the text of verse 3 says, Jonah arose and, as the word of the Lord commanded, he went to Nineveh. You'll notice that that brings us to an observation about Jonah's preaching. Verse number 3, or rather verse number 2 of Jonah chapter 3 is perhaps the finest Old Testament message on preaching to be found anywhere in the Bible. It says, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. That which is to be preached follows the principle and the precept and the pattern of what we read on this occasion. Jonah, preach the preaching I bid thee to preach. And today... All of those who would attempt to preach, of course, still serve beneath the banner of a principle like that one. Preach what God has given us to preach, not adding anything to it, not taking anything from it, not trying to alter or change it or restate it or reword it or lessen it or compromise it, but to preach the preaching which I bid thee to preach. At this point, as that was asserted, notice some of these particular observations what that meant for Jonah. Consider this place that God sent him. Nineveh? Nineveh was not a friend to the people of Israel. This was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Although the greatness of their war with the Israelite nation would yet come at some point in the future, they were pagan peoples. They were often recognized as violent, as cruel, as untolerating. Although it's a bit ahead of our appreciation, notice verse number 8 of chapter 3. Look at the description that's therein found of the citizens of Nineveh. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that's in their hands. This people were known for violence and they were known for evil. Other Old Testament descriptions of Nineveh and the Assyrian people are nicely in harmony with those observations. I wonder how comfortable Jonah felt going to a place like that. Do you suppose he was concerned about his well-being? Was he concerned about his welfare? Might they kill me because they don't like the message, the preaching? Maybe that would have crossed his mind, but it didn't deter him this time. He'd spent some time, you see, in the belly of a great fish. The text simply says that he went. And isn't it true that you and I notice rather powerfully that Jonah did preach what God told him to preach? Verse number 4 puts it like this. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah preached a powerful message. 
a message of destruction and doom in light of a failure to repent and to honor the God of heaven. Again, a nation that's evil and a nation that was given to violence. One might have wondered, would they be hesitant about hearing such a message and would they wish to destroy the preacher rather than abide by the preaching? It didn't change Jonah's approach this time, did it? With commitment, with dedication, he swerved not to the left nor to the right from the word of the Lord. And today we still honor those who would preach that way. We love the law of the Lord, do we not? If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, to borrow the wording of 1 Peter 4.11. Wasn't it Paul who, to that younger son in the faith of his Timothy, said, Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. Those words of 2 Timothy 4 verses 2 through 4 remind us Jonah by this point in his life had made a very drastic and dramatic change. He did preach the word of the Lord. Isn't it true as we come to the next set of observations? We notice that Jonah preached to these people of Nineveh about the urgency of repentance. Yet he said, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. God gave them a month and a half roughly. 40 days. What a powerful message. What an amazing message. What a direct message. 40 days. Isn't it true that there are times in the history of the Word of God we have found God often bringing a very great message of directness and amount of time? In the days of Noah, God allowed it to be longer than 40 days. Noah for 120 years preached, but ultimately the time did in fact expire. You'll notice in that day the people didn't respond. There was only eight souls aboard that ark. As you and I notice very carefully, though, look at how the people of Nineveh reacted. One has to be impressed by them. So the people of Nineveh believed God, verse 5, and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even unto the least of them. For a word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce, his fierce anger that we perish not? The people of Nineveh, as you can see, they believed God, the text says. They had confidence in what Jonah proclaimed. Although a heathen people, they believed God. Even the king. In fact, so certain was the word of the king that he commanded that even not only people but animals alike be such that they express a degree of sorrow and repentance as it relates to sitting in sackcloth. With, with fasting, they were not even allowed to drink water. One again has to be in ter terribly impressed 
with the response of a nation like that. I wonder about our nation, or yea, other nations around the globe. If God were to say, 40 days and it'll be overthrown, would we experience an overwhelming turning to God in our land? Would one by one we begin to see a whole host turn again, filling buildings like this one to the point of overflowing? Would it happen? Would there be a mentality, a consideration, a turning to the things found in the Word of God? thing is, we have in the Bible, God's already asserted there is coming a very powerful day of judgment. There will be a great overthrowing and that eternal in character for those not pleasing to Him and those who haven't obeyed Him. The fearfulness of a text like 2 Thessalonians 1. To you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. It is with that in mind we come to the close of that particular slide. And with it, two final thoughts. And then our lesson will close. Our saga of chapter 3 to this point, Jonah making his way to Nineveh, the preaching that he set forth and their reaction to it, brings us to perhaps note these. Isn't it rather interesting and fascinating how that the people exhibited an impressive degree of humility? How easy it would have been for this prophet from a foreign nation and them to have no interest whatsoever in hearing what he had to say. Jonah was a prophet of Israel. And here he was attempting to tell the Ninevites, the Assyrians, what to do. Again, one has to admire the fact that they must have humbled themselves just as the text described it and recognized in their belief of God that what Jonah was asserting was in fact the truth. This book is still the truth. Every word of it, every principle and every precept and all the things that it presents. Surely in light of that we notice, couldn't you and I then perhaps include in our prayers the desire we find expressed on a few occasions in the New Testament that the Word of God might have free course. Paul, in fact, admonished the Thessalonians to pray for that. Pray that the Word of God will have free course. And that word literally means it will run. Could you and I very rightfully pray that the Word of God might run? That God would, in fact, allow us occasions whereby we could share with others the sweet, blessed message that we've known and loved and obeyed. Paul encouraged the Thessalonians, pray for that. As you and I continue those kinds of thoughts, you notice in Colossians 4 verse 3, and even in other New Testament places, what a sweet desire. As we close chapter 3 of Jonah tonight, of course, as you've already noted, there's a chapter remaining. We'll try to turn our attention to that next Sunday evening. But as we do so, of course, we'll come to a part of the story, a part of the record that is in terribly, terribly interesting. We're going to learn a lot more about Jonah. We're going to also learn a lot more about ourselves. For tonight, as we close this lesson, this summary page, of course, attempts to highlight at least the major points you and I have seen. We've studied about a prophet overboard. 
in the belly of a great fish. And while there, he prayed, but it was not a prayer of deliverance. He was already assured of that, but he prayed in honor and thanksgiving to God, making note, of course, of not only the greatness of God's blessing, but his excitement of carrying out the opportunities as God would again provide them to him. May you and I pray like that. Furthermore, might we also notice that not only in that overboard case, we begin to see that when he was vomited out on dry land, to Nineveh he went because God's word hadn't changed. God's word still hadn't changed. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever because Jesus is, Hebrews 13, 8. Tonight, that same word then that Jesus set forth and Peter and Paul and the others is a word that demands your obedience faithfully in mind. If there would be someone in the audience tonight who maybe you found yourself in very unfortunate circumstances by your own choosing as a result of your sin, maybe you haven't been in the belly of a great fish, but maybe you've been in some other very trying circumstances. Don't you want to rush back to the side of your master? Tonight, if we could assist you in doing that, though once a faithful Christian, tonight you're not, come back to your first love. We'd be delighted to pray to God with you and for you. And in so doing, we can rest assured God has promised to forgive you. On the other hand, if you've never become a Christian, never yet had your sins washed away in that sweet activity of baptism, tonight would be the night. What a great night, this 24th day of July 2016. If we could help you tonight in that way, it must be preceded by belief in Jesus, complete and thorough, repenting of your sins, demanded by the Master Himself. You must confess the greatness of His name as the only begotten Son of God, and then you are a candidate to be immersed for the remission of your sins. The water behind me is ready. It could happen in just a few minutes. If tonight there'd be anyone in that position, either one of those conditions, we would be honored if you come and allow us to help you so that you could put on Christ or, in fact, come back to your first love. The hymn of encouragement has been chosen, and if there would be anyone that would wish to come, why not do it now while together we stand and sing?